0: Welcome to this special ProPass webinar series. We have started the collaboration with ProPass consortium and are publishing their webinars in podcast format so more people can benefit from their useful content. In short, ProPass is an international research collaboration platform of cohorts using Taiwan accelerometry to explore the effects of physical activity, posture, and sleep patterns on a wide range of health outcomes. Without further ado, let's jump to ProPass webinar.
1: Uh, So we started ProPass uh, a few years ago, back in 2017. We formally launched it in 2018. Essentially, ProPass is a consortium of cohort studies Uh, of, at this point in time, thigh-worn accelerometry. This may change in the future, we may expand to other accelerometry sites, but at this point in time, we're focused on thigh accelerometry and we're interested to work and attract cohorts uh, which can be linked to mortality and other administrative health records, like hospital records. And the reason is that the, uh, of, of our focal point on this kind of studies is that the ultimate, the ultimate scientific goal of Propas is to be able to uh, understand um, the many unanswered questions around the health effects of physical behavior, physical activity, sensory behavior, and sleep uh, using this uh, longitudinal and prospective uh, type of design. It is not an accident that tomorrow we are launching this ECR seminar series, ProPass. At ProPass, we have placed a very large emphasis on ECR, on looking after ECRs. Uh, Among other things, we are doing methodology development as well, so we are not only a database in the traditional sense, we are not only a consortium in the traditional sense. And uh, our focus and our commitment to the ECR community is Shown through the leadership opportunities we offer to ECRs. Pretty much all uh, work streams at ProPass currently are led by early career, early and mid career uh, researchers. We're very fortunate to have uh, formed some very strong partnerships, exciting partnerships with major societies in our field like ISPAC, ISMPB and even more fortunate to have received some funding. Uh, This seminar today is not a one-off event. It's part of the three series seminars, the other two seminars in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, We will give you more details about those uh, later at the end of the session. So without further ado, I would like to now stop sharing my screen and introduce our speakers for today. I'm very honoured to introduce our first speaker, Dr. Alex uh, Rowlands, who is an Associate Professor in Physical Activity and Health at the University of Leicester. Those of you who have been working in accelerometry, I'm sure Alex needs no introductions. Uh, he has done some amazing work over the last few years, over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, one of the uh, most uh, important, perhaps, uh, figures in accelerometry research. Alex's research interests are mostly focused around the development, testing, and utilization of uh, health-related accelerometry metrics that can be applied at scale, can be applied in large uh, population studies. And Alex is uh, also an associate editor uh, for the Journal for the Measurement of Physical Behaviors, as well as Pediatric uh, Exercise Science. So, Alex, we're very excited to have you here with us. Uh, The floor is yours. Thank you for uh, giving this talk. Thank you.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, Manos, for the kind introduction and thank you very much for the invitation to speak here. It's uh, great to be part of this uh, series in the ECR webinars. Um, In this webinar, I'd like to talk about how simple summary metrics of physical activity that are easy to generate could be used to help improve comparability across studies that use accelerometer data. As you all well know, and from the slides that Manus has just presented, um, accelerometers are used a lot. Um, since about 2000, the number of publications per year has increased hugely. So in 2000, there are about 30 publications per year. Now I think there's over 1300 publications per year. Um, Pre 2010, most of the studies were focused on uh, count-based accelerometers and typically the Aptograph. And this was predominantly using the wasteware wear site. Post-2010, raw acceleration accelerometers became available and increasingly other wear sites were used, the uh, wrist wear sites and also the thigh wear site, which of course is the uh, focus of the PROPASS consortium. Throughout this time, um, the dominant method for processing and analyzing accelerometer data has been cut points. And um, this is largely because they're very easy to apply. They're understandable because they normally report the physical activity outcomes as time spent in moderate to vigorous physical activity, or MVPA, and thus they're very easy to compare to physical activity guidelines. However, there are a large number of cut points available in the literature, and this has led to problems with comparability. So, for example, depending on which cut points you select, you might end up with no one in your sample meeting physical activity guidelines, or everyone in your sample meeting physical activity guidelines. So how do we get around this problem with comparability? Um, If we go back about 20 years, uh, Professor Tom Rowland envisaged a way of trying to deal with this when he commented at one of the paediatric work physiology conferences, um, wouldn't it be useful to be able to express children's um, physical activity in terms of percentile norms, much as we do for body Uh body Uh mass index? And he commented that this would be useful not just to researchers, but also to clinicians who are trying to track track children's health. If we fast forward a bit, then that's exactly what Dana Wolfhugh's, David Bassett and colleagues did using total activity counts per day data from the waste-worn actigraph. And for this, they used Anne Haynes data collected between 2003 and 2006. And more recently, they've upden- updated it using data from the most recent ANHANES survey, 2013 to 2016. And obviously, if it's ANHANES, it's for uh, US children and youth. And that means that in the US, total physical activity or the volume of physical activity can be compared to others of the same age and sex. And you could also track that percentile for physical activity over time. Now, obviously, when we're doing research on physical activity, there's going to be a range of uh, different physical activity outcomes that uh, are going to be reported in any given study. And that's going to depend on the research question um, that you're trying to answer. But I think it'd be very useful if uh, we had a sort of rule of thumb whereby we also always presented a measure of the total amount or volume of physical activity. And where possible, um, we generated population reference norms that these could be compared to. And this may be a method of trying to help increase the comparability we have um, across accelerometer studies in the literature. So, if we're talking about raw acceleration monitors, the measure of total activity or volume is normally indicated by the average acceleration uh, across the day. And as well as total activity, it may also be worth considering a metric that looks at the intensity distribution uh, across the day. And um, a Potential metric that might be useful there is the intensity gradient. So what is the intensity gradient? If you think about how you spend your day, most of the time for most of us is spent relatively inactive. So you've got a lot of time at this inactive intensity. And then as the intensity increases, we spend less and less time at it. So if you plot time against intensity, you end up with a curvilinear plot, something like this. If you take the natural log of time and the natural log of intensity, it turns this curvilinear plot into a straight line. And the slope of this uh, straight line is the intensity gradient. If you have a really steep intensity gradient, then that means you've got a poor physical activity profile, poor intensity, most of it spent pretty inactive. If you've got a shallow intensity gradient, it's a good intensity gradient, it means that you've got a lot more activity. Um, in this mid-intensity range and this high-intensity range. Um, I said you take the uh, natural log of both the axes to get the straight line graph, and we can check that assumption of how straight it is by looking at the R squared or the variance explained. And that's typically around about 90% in uh, the risk acceleration data. So if we've got the average acceleration, and we've got the intensity gradient, and that gives us two metrics that give us um, a reasonably comprehensive summary view of the physical activity profile. And if we're in a position where we've got population reference norms for those, then it allows us to um, perhaps compare datasets much more easily. So, for example, we've got a um, dataset at the Leicester Diabetes Center, and it's 1800 adolescent girls. And they all had um, physical activity measures using um, accelerometers worn on the wrist for seven days. And if we wanted to see what the activity of the particular section of the girls looked like compared to the rest, we can just look at the values. Like for example, I've got here the average acceleration and the intensity gradient for the overweight and the obese girls. And we can see that the average acceleration was 38 and the intensity gradient was minus 2.2. And um, those numbers aren't that meaningful in themselves. But if we express them relative to the rest of the sample, I mean, ideally population reference norms, but in this case, the rest of the sample, we can see that the percentile of the average acceleration is 50%. So that's around about normal, pretty average. However, the percentile of the intensity gradient was a lot lower, it was 39. So straight away, that's a lot more intuitive. We can see that the average acceleration or the volume of activity was the same as the rest of the sample with the overweight and obese girls, but the intensity profile was a lot poorer. So that gives us a bit of information about how, if this was a causal relationship, how we might want to intervene to uh, improve physical activity profiles in uh, overweight and obese children. So that's why those metrics could be used to help improve comparability across data sets. But as well as that, we can use them to look at the relative importance of intensity and volume of activity for health or look at just associations between volume and intensity of activity for health. So you'll probably all be very well aware of the UK Biobank data set where it's this massive study with accelerometer data in that 100,000 of the total half a million sample had their physical activity measured um, using wrist worn accelerometers back in 2013 to 2015. And we wanted to see whether physical activity back then predicted people's um, odds of getting severe COVID outcomes in the current pandemic. And we found that the volume of activity and the intensity of activity were both associated with 20% lower odds of um, getting severe COVID. What that doesn't do is tell us which one was most important, what aspect of the physical activity. Unusually for um, an intensity metric, the intensity gradient has only got a moderate correlation with the volume metric, the average acceleration. And the benefit of this, it means that we can put them both in the same regression model to look at their relative importance for a uh, given health marker. And we did that in this data set. And if we look at the odds ratio for the volume of activity, we can see the 95% confidence intervals now span one. It was no longer significant. But the odds ratio for the intensity was still significant, and it still showed about 20% lower odds of getting severe COVID um, based on the higher intensity of activity. This is um, consistent with evidence from a systematic review that um, said Chastin led earlier this year. So this was, the systematic review wasn't COVID-specific, but it was about immunity and physical activity. and um, He showed that it was the amount of MVPA, the higher intensity of activity that you got, Was associated with a stronger immunity. You could also use um, this approach to compare the physical activity of different populations, compare the associations between health and physical activity of two population groups, or across different health markers. And this is an approach that uh, Nathan Dawkins took in a study um, as part of his PhD. So he used a sample of healthy office workers, and a sample of people with chronic disease. And he wanted to look at the relative importance of intensity and volume of activity for um, cardiovascular risk. And I'm just gonna use waist circumference as an example here. So in the sample with chronic disease, as you'd expect, they've got higher waist circumference than healthy adults. They've got a lower volume of physical activity and they've got a lower intensity gradient. For both of our groups, our chronic disease and our healthy, the linearity of the intensity gradient was about 90%, which is pretty much what we expect. And there was a moderate correlation between average acceleration and the intensity gradient, which suggests that we can use both in the same model to see which was most important for um, adiposity. So this is what Nathan wanted to look at. Um, But importantly, he also wanted to Compare the physical activity profiles of those with the lower adiposity in a meaningful way. So when you looked at the healthy group, you found there was an independent association with intensity. So if you've got um, people with a similar volume of activity, those with the lower intensity profile Mm -hmm. had had a higher waist circumference. And those with the better intensity profile had a lower um, waist circumference. So to try and visualise what the physical activity profiles of these people looked like, Nathan plotted the intensity of um, key time periods during the day to see how they varied across the uh, different groups. So on this plot, we've got the intensity of the most active eight hours or the most active third of a day. got the most active two hours of the day, most active 60 minutes, most active 30 minutes, and so on. On the um, red lines, that's just to give some context to the values. on the inner red line, we've got the intensity for slow walking, in the middle line, brisk walking, and the outer line, vigorous activity. And in the green plot, we've got the people with the best intensity profile, the lower adiposity, and in the red, we've got the worst intensity profile that was associated with higher adiposity. Key things to note is that when we look at the longer durations of time, there was no real difference between the people with the lower and the higher adiposity. Where the difference lied was in these most intense short duration periods. Um, particularly those with the optimum physical activity profile had 15 minutes of brisk walking today per day and five minutes of vigorous activity, whereas these intensities were pretty much absent from those with a higher adiposity group. However, he found a different result when um, he looked at the people with chronic disease. And here there was an independent association with the volume of activity, but not with intensity. So if you look at the intensity profiles in the same way, you can see that the physical activity differed across the whole range of time periods. Essentially, the intensity of activity was higher across the whole day, not just these most intense periods. So comparing groups in this way can um, help target activity prescriptions specific to a particular population or comparing it across health markers might help you target activity prescriptions to focus on a particular aspect of health. So we're talking waist circumference in here. We might be looking at what aspects of activity are important for bone health, for example. I mentioned earlier um, that cut points have been very widely used because they're very easy to generate, they're easy to apply across data dataset. So if any metrics are going to be widely used, it's important that they can be um, calculated very easily and they can be used at scale. And um, these average acceleration intensity metrics and those like them can be generated in the open source package GGIR, which was developed by Vincent Van Hees that I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with. I would have a note of caution, particularly about the intensity gradient is um, it's largely been used on accelerometer data measured at the wrist. And it's been used with the metric, the NMO metric, um, which is the resultant of the three axes of acceleration and subtracting one to correct for gravity. So it's not clear how applicable or how useful it is at different wear sites or with different processing decisions. Um, this is something that uh, Ben Mailer' is looking at <laughs> So Ben Mailer's is using the Smart Work and Life dataset, and uh, this is an activity intervention that's led by Charlotte Edwardson, which is aiming to reduce sitting time in uh, office workers. And what's particularly useful about this dataset for us is that uh, people wore an active pal on a thigh and an activity monitor on the wrist at the same time. So you've got the measures from the two different wear sites um, concurrently. And Ben summarized the data from this, and he's shown that the average acceleration measured at the thigh on the active pal is substantially lower than that at the wrist. The intensity gradient's a little bit higher, and notably the linearity at the um, thigh is only about 80%, whereas we normally get about 90% at the wrist. However, the correlation with average acceleration is still only moderate, so that means you could potentially use the intensity gradient at the thigh and the average acceleration of the thigh to look at associations with health. Ben wanted to look at how these profiles differed in a bit more detail. So he generated one of those radar plots like Nathan was using. And this one's slightly different. You've got the most active 12 hours and most active eight hours, most active four hours. Um, We've got the activity in blue, the wrist monitor. And we've got the active pallium red, the thigh monitor. And we can see that the intensity is distributed slightly differently. At this, At the very long periods of time, we can see that the wrist intensity is slightly higher. Whereas during the shorter Mm -hmm. periods of time, the thigh intensity is higher. It's not clear whether this is just completely down to the wear site though, because the active PEL has got different specifications to the activity monitor. The active PEL has a dynamic range of plus or minus 2G, whilst the Activity has got a dynamic range of plus or minus 8G, and the sampling frequency is also a bit lower for the active PAL. So to gain some insights into whether it's the monitor specifications or the wear site that's uh, looking at it that's causing those differences, we can use some data from a study that's led by Charlotte Edwardson. And this was a study that looked at equivalency of um, different brands of, th- of accelerometers worn on the thigh. So she has four accelerometers worn on the thigh for um, several days. And I'm just going to show the results from the active pel and the activity here. because that's relevant to uh, Ben's study. You can see that the active Pell had an acceleration of about 21. Uh, this was lower than the activity and it's similar to in smart work and life, the previous slide. But what's key is this acceleration for the activity on the thigh is quite a bit higher and also about the same as in smart work, where it's worn on the wrist. The intensity gradient is about minus 1.9, which is lower than what we typically get for a wrist intensity gradient, which is about minus 2.5. Linearity is lower again, around about less than 80%. So the linearity assumption of the intensity gradient doesn't seem as strong as the thigh. There's a moderate correlation with average acceleration, um, similarly for the uh, wrist. And if we look at the radar plot, so again, we've got the most active 12 hours, eight hours, and so on. The active pal on the thigh is consistently lower intensity across the whole um, day, the whole day range compared to the activity on the thigh. So these difference gets even greater at the short periods, the higher intensity areas, but it's actually fairly consistent. So this suggests that the differences that Ben was seeing between the wrist and the thigh are to do with wear site rather than you know, differences in the pattern of the distribution to do with wear site rather than the dynamic range of the monitors. But there's a number of research questions that I think would be very useful to answer here regarding the applicability of the intensity gradient across different study designs. Um, So for example, it might be whether you've got waking wear or whether you've got 24 hour wear, Um, different processing decisions, um, that might be to do with the metric that you're using, whether you're using the NMO metric, whether you're using the MIMS metric, whether you're using MAD. and also to do with accelerator specifications, the dynamic range, the sampling frequency, and how all of these impact on its usefulness to describe the intensity distribution and impact on the associations with health that you might detect. So if the pattern of the distribution is different at the thigh and the wrist, it might not be as useful at the thigh, or it might be in looking at associations with health. And this is something that um, Ben's looking into in his study. So, in conclusion, I think that reporting standardized acceleration metrics alongside the study specific physical activity outcomes could be a step towards helping improve that comparab- comparability of studies and trying to get away from this cut point conundrum problem that we have, at least among studies that are using the same website. However, one of the problems is the metrics are not intuitive. Um, the actual values don't mean a huge amount, whereas the big advantage of cut points was its minutes of um, moderate to vigorous physical activity. So I suggested a couple of ways that uh, we can maybe work towards making them more intuitive. And one of those was comparing to population reference norms. And the other was this illustration in terms of the most active periods of the day using those radar plots. Um, highlighted a note of caution in that the intensity gradient needs more research because most of the work has been using the wrist and a certain type of set protocol, so we need to look at how usable it is across other wear sites and other protocols. Um, just like to acknowledge other members of the AMBER research group, the Assessment and Movement Behaviours research group, so that's Nathan Dawkins, Paddy Dempsey, Charlotte Edwardson, Ben Mailer and Tatiana Plekanova. And, um, particularly for Ben for his work in producing those radar plots and making them as uh, clear as possible. And I'd welcome any questions. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in this show, we would really appreciate the rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.